0: What's up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And the dust has finally settled from the play-in situation. We know all the matchups, and all of the game ones have been played. So we're going to hop right into it with Ben's hometown team, the Boston Celtics. Ben, great first impression from the Celtics. What did you feel about that win over the Hawks?
1: The first half from the Celtics was what I have been trying to tell people the Celtics were going to be in this playoffs. Um, For all of the talk that we had in the regular season about the way that they couldn't perform against bad teams and the way that they would drop really, really easily winnable games, um, I didn't think all that mattered that much because you don't play those teams in the playoffs. The Celtics came out in the first half and beat the brakes off the Hawks, scored every time they touched the ball, it felt like, and played excellent defense. You know because it's the Celtics that lead was going to shrink. But the fact that they still closed it out at the end, you know, I loved what I saw from the Celtics. I thought it was really interesting that during that entire game, we didn't see any really bench players come in, Um, even though you're up by 30 and you know your starters are going to blow that lead. But all in all, excellent win from the Celtics.
0: The Celtics are a unit, man. Uh, Me and you, we had very high expectations for them when the season started. Um, I started off with the Celtics just winning the championship. My tune changed as the season went forward. But this is what I expected to see from the Celtics as well. Uh, When they are right, which you have been harping on all season, when they are right, when they are hitting threes, they are unstoppable. There is not a single team in the league that can take them Um, And if you just go down the box score, it's actually really funny. Everyone was efficient except for Brogdon and for Smart. Uh, Smart probably took a little too many shots, 11 shots for Smart. I don't love seeing him above 10 shots, but when you're beating the shit out of someone, does it really matter? I mean, they were dominating the Hawks. Um, Yeah, this team's so well-rounded. Jalen Brown, a little few turnovers didn't matter at all. That's the thing about hitting threes and playing defense it kind of erases your mistakes, right? If you're consistently defending and you're consistently hitting threes, the small things don't matter as much.
1: Yeah, you're definitely right. Marcus Smart still had seven assists. For the most part, he was sticking to playmaking. He definitely took too many shots, but that's Marcus Smart. That's what you sign up for. Um, All the way down the line, everybody played a great game. The Celtics put up 45 points in the second quarter. It was kind of when you knew not only is this game over, but this series is not going to be competitive. There's a difference in the level of the play from the Celtics and the Hawks, and that's nothing against the Hawks. We know that DeJounte Murray, Trey Young, and Bogdan Bogdanovich aren't going to combine to go three for 18 from three again. But even if they shot well, they were losing this game convincingly.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think, you know, the Hawks have potential to steal a game I would not be shocked at all if this was a sweep. Um, You know, Trey has proven in the past that he can have some out-of-body experiences in the playoffs. Um, But this Celtics team just feels like a team perfectly crafted to stop the Hawks. Uh, Derek White, I was talking to you pre-show, he might just be the best role player in the entire league. Um, I really struggle to find guys that I would want more. I mean, there's guys like Draymond and like, you know, maybe Evan Mobley's shit like that. But when it comes down to it, he plays first team all defense on guards. He hits open threes, he drives, and he has great rim protection for a guard. Like he's kind of just the perfect complimentary player. He doesn't get in the way, but he shines when he needs to. I am a massive Derek White fan. And I think, you know, for the Celtics to kind of get him just for a pick swap in Romeo Langford. And I think a first round pick as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's just a joke, right? Like this guy is contributing to a team that's going to be in the Eastern Conference finals at an extremely high level. I, I'm in love with Derek White.
1: Yeah, it is everything. Derek White was tw- had 24 points, five boards, seven assists, two blocks. He impacted basketball on every single level Um, as a guard defender. You see, that's the issue with the Hawks right now is they're going against Brogdon Smart and Derek White as their guard defenders. And those are three of the top guard defenders in the East. Um, Three really, really high level defenders. Derek White led the NBA in blocks by a guard this year. He has had an unbelievable year defensively. And to be able to come out and go four for seven from three, we have watched him as a shooter the past couple of seasons. And to think that he'd be 38% from three over a year, and to think that he'd have the confidence pulling from three that he does, the growth for him since he's joined the Celtics has been excellent.
0: Yeah, we we were also talking pre-show last year, there were some times where, you know, teams were forcing Derek White to shoot threes, and he either didn't take them, or he took them and didn't make them. And it feels like that confidence is, is at a very different level this year than it was compared to last year. I feel like teams can't use that game plan anymore. Um, And another person I want to talk about for the Celtics quickly is Rob Williams coming off the bench. Um, I kind of love it. I don't know if this is a staple moving forward. I know the Celtics loved the two-big lineup last year, um, but I just love Derek White playing more. And I just feel like getting him his minutes is really important, but then having the luxury of having Time Lord coming off the bench whenever you need him is I just think it makes the Celtics a more unique, interesting team to
1: stop. I absolutely agree with you. I think even if, you know, we've been a little bit cautious with Rob Williams because of his injury concerns and because I don't know if anybody knows if he's at 100%. But the fact that Derek White is thrown into the starting lineup is great, especially for this series. I think there's going to be some moments maybe against the Bucs where we'd rather have two bigs out there than an extra guard defender. But when you've got a team that's got Trey Young and DeJounte and Bogdan Bogdanovich and Sadiq Bay as a shooter, all of those like shorter, really talented offensive guys, Derek White needs his minutes. I think that was a great move by Missoula.
0: I agree. And I agree. And I haven't given Missoula much credit this year, but I do really like that move. And I just think, you know, just slightly looking forward, if the Celtics are to make the finals, right, and face a team in the West, they can play the Warriors, with this lineup they're using now, Derek White in the starting lineup, bring Time Lord off the bench. But if they play the Lakers, you can have Time Lord and Horford out there at the same time. It's It makes them very hard to stop defensively. They just have so much versatility.
1: Yes, and Grant Williams did not play in this series. He's going to get minutes against those bigger teams, against those yeah. bigger lineups. Um, I'm I'm very impressed with Joe Mazzulla in Game 1. I think this is an easy showing because, you know, even if he kind of screws up, the Celtics probably win the series anyways. Um, But let's move on to your series. Let's talk about what went wrong here. Knicks versus Cavs. Knicks took 101 win, 101 to 97.
0: I got irrationally mad watching this basketball game. Um, I was freaking out by myself in my little apartment here. Um, This was not good for my mental health. I can just start. The Cavs bench is pathetic. Um, there is not a single player on this Cavaliers team outside of the top four players that I enjoy watching play basketball. The Knicks were 10 feet off of Isaac Okoro and they stuck to that game plan the entire game. Uh, same thing with Karis Lavert. Dean Wade probably had the greatest nine game stretch to start this season, had an injury, and then has been an absolute bum since then. And Ricky Rubio, every time he touches the ball, I want to punch something. Uh, He was great last year. He was super important to the Cavs last year. He is washed. I don't think he should be in the NBA. Um, He thinks he is the guy to take the shots. And how he thinks that when he's surrounded by the talent that he's surrounded by is pretty insane to me. Um, And let's just get right into it. Evan Mobley was fucking horrible. Evan Mobley was fucking horrible. It was one of the worst games I've ever seen from him. And it was, it literally made me sick to watch one of my favorite players play as poorly as he did. Uh, he was avoiding contact on defense and on offense. He had easy, easy shots, probably three feet around the rim, but he was scared of catching an elbow to the ribs from Julius Randall or Mitchell Robinson. So he pressed it and he kept missing shit right around the rim, uh, barely got fouled. He, 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 oh, he didn't get fouled. He literally didn't take a free throw. Um, He's seven foot, extremely skilled, great footwork, physical. He didn't get to the free throw line once. And that tells you the entire story of how he played the game. And not to, I'm sorry, I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, but Jared Allen did fucking nothing also. Um, He's a virtual no-show. His box score actually looks okay, 14 and 14. That's, That's pretty respectable. Couldn't tell either of the big men were out there. This game would have been so far out of reach if Donovan Mitchell wasn't one of the best playoff performers of our generation. Um, So disgusting all around. And I do want to give the Knicks some credit. Jalen Brunson is just really hard to stop. He's a really unique player. Um, And Mitchell Robinson has got to be the best offensive rebounder in the league, right? Like just watching him shove two seven footers out of the way, the entire game put fear in my heart moving forward in this series. So Knicks were great. Cavs were horrible.
1: I think that's pretty accurate, honestly. Uh first, you know, to have two seven footers on the floor at all times and to get to let up 17 offensive rebounds, not something that can happen. Mitchell Robinson is one of the best offensive rebounders in the game. He averaged four and a half offensive boards a game for this season. Um, he's legit, but when you've got two seven footers, skilled seven footers out there, that should be enough to combat that. Um it's going to be tough for the Cavs, man. We have talked about it a little bit, and I didn't expect it to be as glaring of an issue off the bat. Just the lack of perimeter creation by anybody that's not named Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Darius Garland didn't have an excellent... Eh, Darius Garland was fine. He wasn't the reason they lost this game. Um, but to have a combination of like poor perimeter shooting from basically everyone on your team and also not excellent point-of-attack defense... Jalen Brunson's going to cook this entire series because there's just really nobody on the Cavs except for maybe Isaac Okoro, who can get in his way.
0: You're 100% right. Um, If we go back to last postseason, Jalen Brunson cooked the shit out of Donovan Mitchell. And yeah, Donovan Mitchell was checked out and he wanted to get traded, whatever. But Jalen Brunson cooked his ass. Um, Isaac Okoro does really well on Brunson, but then literally everyone else doesn't know how to deal with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And you brought up the perimeter scoring. Karis LeVert, I mean, if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you know my feelings about Karis LeVert. Like, I have never been a fan. I think he's a bad basketball player. And, you know, when the lights got brightest in the postseason, when you desperately need him, when Evan Mobley is sucking ass, and you just need someone to do something, one for seven from the floor. Um, And that is, that's just LeVert in a nutshell, right? When you need him to make easy-ass shots he's going to miss them. Because if you watched this game, you saw that all the shots the Caps were taking were wide fucking open. I'm serious. All of them were wide open, whether they were from three or from mid-range. The space was there. The touch was gone. The Knicks intimidation factor in the paint of Mitchell Robinson affected the minds of the players clearly. Um, And what's funny is like, Darius Garland left this game with one assist. That doesn't tell the story of the game. Because he was he was dishing. It just people weren't finishing his passes. Like he should have had probably eight to ten assists, but people could not finish for their lives. As a Cavs fan, it was super, super frustrating because I believe in the top end talent of the Cavs over the depth of the Knicks. But to start this way and just watching them getting their ass beat. And they only lost by four. But if you watched the game, it just felt like they never had a chance. Um, it was just super, dis- like super discouraging.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is the battle. The Cavs top four guys need to win this series. And Evan Mobley wasn't able to do it. And Jared Allen did, you know, his best, but he really wasn't able to do it. It was Donovan Mitchell putting up an excellent performance. Yep. Moving on to the next side of things. There isn't a better, I mean, if we're talking about some of the greatest role players in the NBA right now, Josh Hart is right on that list. Five offensive boards for him. He's one of the greatest offensive rebounding guards. One of the best rebounding guards we have in basketball. Um, The clutch three that he hit after rolling his ankle. Like if you want any idea of what Josh Hart is as a player, those sorts of moments, he just brings winning to your team. Tibbs made the right idea, benching Barrett. I will always give RJ Barrett slander. Minus yeah. 13, two of 12 from the floor. Bad. Josh Hart came in and was an instant impact.
0: Josh Hart's fucking incredible, man. He is, he should be getting paid 20 to 25 million this upcoming summer. I really believe it. Um, you said he's one of the best rebounding guards in the league. I think he might be one of the best rebounding guards ever. Um, the way he impacts games on the offensive glass and just securing defensive rebounds and stopping offensive possessions for the other team is fucking crazy from the guard spot. And he's big enough to where you can shift him to forward two. He can guard one through one through three. He rebounds like a big guy. He is so valuable. And there were multiple occasions where he was slamming the offensive glass and Karis LeVert was looking in the clouds and the Knicks get an extra possession and then they bang a three. And it was the difference in the game. Him and Mitchell Robinson getting the offensive rebounds for the Knicks was the difference in the game. Um, He is incredible. Uh, Just a winning player. You nailed it. You nailed it right on the the teams he's on are going to have success and are going to have heart. So, yeah, Josh Hart, what a trade. Like, I think the Knicks deserve a lot of credit for going after him when they did because they were kind of middling, right? Like, we didn't expect much of them. And that trade has really kind of propelled them. We saw that funny stat where they went 9-0 and once they traded for him. Like he
1: was the perfect piece for this team. We've been talking about it, man. And it's because you need somebody to replace R.J. Barrett. (laughs) There's a great team here, but you're giving too much minutes to the guy you picked with too high of a pick. Josh Mm -hmm. Hart comes in, eats at his minutes, and impacts winning in a massive way. Um, What I will say about this series, though, is if we're looking at this and saying the Knicks had an excellent game, the Cavs played like trash, and it was a four-point game, I'm still pretty confident in the Cavs moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think my fandom clouds my judgment a little bit. Um, But, you know, how much better can the Knicks play is kind of something I've asked myself over the last 24 to 48 hours. Is like, Jalen Brunson, 27. Julius Randle, he didn't play very well. And that to, to Mobley's credit, he did do a very good job defending in that game. He was just nowhere on offense. But, like, is Josh Hart going to dominate again? Is Obi Toppin going to score nine points in 14 minutes? Like, Obi Toppin barely got any run in the regular season, and then all of a sudden he's, like, a valuable bench guy? Like, there's some inconsistencies, but there's also some space for the Knicks to play better, right? Like, quickly having three points and not hitting a shot, is that something that we can count on happening again? I doubt it. Um, you know, is R.J. Barrett, I know me and you both hate R.J. Barrett, but is he going to go two for 12? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But I'm just saying there's some room for them to, you know, play even better. For the Cavs, we need more Garland. We need more impactful Jared Allen minutes. And e- Evan Mobley is the key. That He is the key to this series. If he does this, I'll be super disappointed and they will lose in five they will not this won't go the stretch if evan mobley plays like this if mobley's averaging 18 9 and 4 like he did the last 40 games of the regular season the Cavs take this pretty easily in my opinion but there's got to be some level of consistency and if isaac okoro even hits one to two threes it's a completely different team yeah so yeah, I, it's it's going to be an awesome series. I still have the Cavs in seven, but a little bummed out how that first game played out.
1: Yeah, if the Cavs don't pull out this series, the instant change needs to be massive upgrades at the small forward position at the wing. You need to overpay. It does not matter uh, how much you think a guy's worth. That's what you need for this team desperately. Isaac Okoro can't be the guy you rely on to save you with threes. There's a reason they leave him wide open it's because he's not good at hitting them. Karis Levert's not an excellent shooter. Dean Wade, despite where you're right, what he did the first nine games of the NBA season is not some guy you're putting out here in playoff minutes. So So, yeah, that you need an upgrade in a big way.
0: What's frustrating about Dean Wade is I'm trying, I think it's the injury. I think it is because he's been such a different guy since then. But the first nine games of the season, the Cavs were breaking records for offensive efficiency because you couldn't double and leave Isaac Okoro in the corner because it was Dean Wade. And Dean Wade was knocking down threes at a 55% clip. You know, obviously, is that sustainable over the course of a season? Probably not. But NBA University, which is an unbelievable Twitter account for any basketball fan to follow, put out a chart of who takes the most wide open threes. And it was Isaac Okoro in a fucking landslide. And it's just, teams do not respect him in any sense because they know he's going to miss. And he proved that to the Knicks in the game one. So, you know, hopefully the Cavs figure it out, but it's going to be a tough series for sure.
1: Isaac Okoro shoots 36% from three during the regular season on the most wide open threes that anyone else in the NBA gets. Right. Um, So that is something you have to understand going into this is he is not some high pressure knockdown shooter. He is a very low pressure, hits a three in the first quarter and then doesn't attempt one for the rest of the game kind of guy.
0: Right. And I want to, you know, actually call someone at like the Chase Down podcast, the actual Cavaliers team podcast. They have been bragging on Twitter for months now. Isaac Okoro has been shooting 40% from three since blah, blah, blah. Okay. It's on two attempts a game, and it's when people are 10 feet away from him. Yes. Him shooting 40% means nothing to me. He is a bad three point shooter. I don't care what anyone says.
1: He's getting the Draymond treatment, the Ben Simmons treatment. If what? you're begging someone to shoot threes and they hit one a game at 40%, that's fine. I don't fucking care. Exactly. It doesn't impact the game at all. So, no. you know, those guys can take their
0: victory lap that Isaac Okoro is shooting 40%. I don't give a shit. He's still bad at basketball. Um, But until, you know, my head explodes, let's move on to a different game.
1: Let's talk about maybe the most entertaining game of that night. Golden State versus Sacramento. What a game. What an offensive showdown. The clutch buckets being traded back and forth were insane. De'Aaron Fox in his opening, his first game ever in playoffs after the years of suffering that he dealt with, puts up 38 points, is a killer in the fourth quarter. I loved this game from the Kings. I loved the offense from Monk and Fox. What a fun, fun matchup.
0: Yeah, I was really disappointed because I didn't get to watch this one live. I had to catch it in the morning um, because of like some location restrictions, which is so dumb. But um, when I was looking at the box score and the score as it was live, I was like, holy shit, this is the closest game we've had so far. And this is a team that won the championship last year against a first-time playoff team in 17 to 16 years. Um, What a cool matchup to begin with, right? Just what a cool series. But also, like, De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, they are dangerous, dude. And I'm not sure I gave them enough credit. Um, I believe I had Golden State in six. I'm going to stick with that. But I think they're going to cause a lot of problems for the Warriors, and I just didn't really see that because I thought you know, the Warriors have Draymond, who's I don't, maybe the best defender in the league. He always confuses me because every time I watch him, he impacts the game at a crazy level. Um, So they have him and they have Gary Payton II, who is just like probably one of the best guard stoppers in the entire league. So I was in my head, I was like, they're probably going to keep the guards in check. It was actually the opposite. The guards went fucking bananas. Sabonis was kept in check. Sabonis, I mean, he was out there setting valuable screens and shit like that, but he didn't really do much offensively, so it's interesting to see that this could just be a guard dominated series.
1: This the Sabonis versus Draymond, that is not a good matchup for Sabonis. It's not. Draymond is one of the smartest big man defenders in the game. He's not going to get he's not going to let Sabonis move through him with good footwork. Um he still ended up with 16 rebounds, 5 offensive boards, and those offensive boards were big cuz they led to more offense for the Kings. Um but this was the DeAaron Fox show the Warriors don't have an answer for him because Kavon Looney sits in drop coverage and De'Aaron Fox has proved every single game this season that that mid-range shot is money, especially if it's a clutch time bucket. He's going to hit it if you give it to him. Um, It seems like the Warriors' strategy is just Clay Thompson and Steph Curry will save us. Their offensive explosions will be enough to win us this series. And if you get 30 points from Steph, 21 from Clay. And you still lose, feels a little concerning going deeper into this series.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, something I do want to watch out for, though, is just the efficiency from Clay Thompson. Do you think he goes five of 14 from three again?
1: I'm kind of, I'm not sure where Clay is at right now. Um, but no, not five for 14. Because my
0: thing, me and you have kind of debated this a little bit. I don't love anything about the Kings defense. I don't think there's a single player on that team that really worries me on defense outside of Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell is incredible. And then everyone else kind of is, you know, they, choose, they pick and choose when they play defense, in my opinion. And some of them don't even really have the skill set to play defense. So for me, I'm just picturing Clay Thompson running off a of Draymond screens over the course of what I assume is going to be a decently long series. He's going to catch fire one of these games. And I think, I don't know, I just still have faith in the Warriors. This game, seeing how well Andrew Wiggins played actually encouraged me, even though they lost. Like in 25 games missed, 17 points.
1: I mean, he sucked from three, but he was making an impact out there. Andrew Wiggins has always been the guy that can give you exactly 17 points. You have said this since we started the podcast, and it's the most true thing anyone has ever said. That's all he can do. But thinking about it on the Kings side, does Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter combine to go 0 of 8 from 3 again? Right. Probably not. Um, there is more offense. The offensive ceiling for this series is even higher than what we saw in game one. That's the truth. Um, If you have the opportunity, watch this series, watch every single game that you can. It doesn't matter who you want to win. These are just fun games of basketball.
0: Yeah. And these are like, if you've just been watching the regular season, These are two of the most exciting teams to watch. The Warriors have been strange just because of their road splits. But if you catch them at a game at home, they're incredible to watch. Clay has rebounded his, you know, his play. He kind of looks like the guy he used to be. Not quite, but he's Mm -hmm. getting there. Steph Curry, obviously like a top five, top four guy in the league. So it's just, you get insane offensive talent in this series. And honestly, man, all credit to Malik Monk. Because me and you spoke about this while we did our playoff predictions You know, there are two guys that are very similar. You have Jordan Poole and Malik Monk. They do virtually the same thing, right? They come off the bench, they score, and they set up guys. Malik Monk won the battle in a freaking glorious fashion. Like, Jordan Poole played okay, right? 17 points off the bench, two of five from three, got to the free throw line a bit. Malik Monk was a totally different guy. Like, 32 points, 14 of 14 from the free throw line. And this isn't some physically dominating dude. He's super quick and athletic, but he's not like plowing into the paint. He was forcing the issue. And that means a lot for this team. I'm very encouraged by the way the Kings played. They looked really well, uh, really good. I think the Warriors just experience creeps up. But what a start for the Kings.
1: I still have the Kings winning this series. Malik Monk was able to attack downhill all game. He only hit two threes, 32 points off of two threes. He was just abusing Kevon Looney in the paint. Um, The the verticality that Malik Monk has is something that most guys can't keep up with. He can jump above the contest, like any center's contest. He can just jump right above him, finish right over him. He's an unbelievable athlete. And I don't see 32 points from him again, but he's going to have better, more scoring nights. He's going to have even more times where he just abuses the paint.
0: Yeah. And this is another thing I just didn't expect to talk about, really. Alex Len, um, they did not play a single backup center the entire regular season. Like, literally, they just didn't do it. And then they pull out Alex Len in the postseason. And he actually played okay. Like obviously limited minutes, 12 minutes, but he had four points and seven rebounds in 12 minutes. And he had a
1: block on Draymond that was nice.
0: Yeah, like those are valuable minutes that they got from this guy. So I'm like, is, is that an added wrinkle I need to pay attention to? Is that just like a like kind of a hero performance in 12 minutes? I don't know, but it's something I'll be looking at moving
1: forward. Trey Lyles in 18 minutes puts up 16 points on eight shots. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the kings just have guys where if one guy is lacking on offense, there's guys who can pick up the pieces. If you need a shooter, Trey Lyles is not your best shooter, he's not your fourth best shooter. Um, but if Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter are having off nights, he's a guy that can catch and shoot for you. Yeah. Like they just have so much offense. I'm expecting one of these games to be like 138 to 135. I
0: think that's a reasonable expectation. And just a question for you moving forward. Do you think the Warriors could cook up a game plan to maybe slow down De'Aaron Fox or Malik Monk? Or do you think this is just who plays better? Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson moving forward?
1: The game plan for De'Aaron Fox has to just be to beg him to shoot. And if he goes four of eight from three, again, you're going to lose if that's your game plan. But if you're going drop coverage, Kavon Looney and you're giving him that free throw line jumper game after game, De'Aaron Fox is going to kill you with that. Yeah. So if you pull, if you pull Looney up, you take him out of drop coverage and you take away that mid range shot, you know, that lets somebody else collapse. Um There's an interesting strategy there, but you're probably going to have to just force De'Aaron Fox into deep twos and threes if you want to stop him.
0: Yeah, I think something I would probably try is get Looney out of the lineup sometimes and actually put in Gary Payton the second and just kind of shift everyone down one spot, maybe Mm. Raymond the five, Wiggins the four, GP two, actually probably Clay the three, GP two, and Steph, and just see like how they can attack him that way. Because then you can get switches and try to stay in front of De'Aaron Fox instead of giving him that runway Um, or the open threes, either option. It didn't work for the Warriors in any sense.
1: Right, Uh, and even in that sense, you know, if you shrink your lineup, Sabonis murders you on the glass. True. Um, So they have, it's going to be a really interesting fight for Golden State to try to overcome this. I still have the Kings winning in six.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an awesome series. uh, Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Let's Let's move move on on. to the least entertaining game, the least entertaining series of probably this playoffs. And it's just because the Sixers are better. Um, The Sixers versus the Nets, 121 to 101. Mikael Bridges had an excellent first half, but the (laughs) the Nets really never had a shot. Joel Embiid did not have some monster performance, but it didn't matter. The Sixers are going to win this series in four games convincingly.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of faith in the Nets to begin with. I said that on the podcast, I think they're pretty garbage. I love Mikhail Bridges. Everyone else, I think, is pretty bad. And I, you know, I'm a Claxton fan. I, I really like the way he plays basketball. But when you put Joel Embiid out there, who's 60 pounds heavier, and say, go guard him, Claxton, it's a joke. Um. So honestly, I'm not going to pay attention to a whole lot of this series after watching game one. I don't think there's a lot for me to learn about the Sixers here. Um, It just kind of feels like big brother, little brother, uh, MVP candidate versus a team that's devout of talent. Like they have nothing. Um, So, you know, whatever Sixers fans want to take from this, that's fine. Joel was pretty good. Harden was pretty good. Maxi played well. I mean, I don't know. What did you learn? I didn't really learn anything.
1: Um, I learned that Spencer Dinwiddie does not know how to throw lob passes. Um, yes, that was and- a big. <laughs> <laughs> what I saw was that Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie was fine offensively. They all scored at, you know, a pretty good clip. They were all relatively efficient, but they got blown out and it was never competitive. Um, James Harden. If this is something that we can see from him, efficient three-point shooting, 13 assists, I think that's what I'm going to be looking for. James Harden needed a morale booster going into the playoffs. Me and you were very low on his playoff ability. And I think if there's any morale booster, just being able to comfortably set up teammates and beat the shit out of the first-round team, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good point because Harden was struggling with some Achilles health coming into the postseason and he looked pretty good. He looked mm-hmm. pretty healthy today. So maybe that's the takeaway from the series is how healthy is Harden. Um, because if he plays like this and his Achilles is feeling good, maybe that makes me have a little bit more respect for Philly moving forward. It's you know, there is more than a decade of history that convinces me not to have respect for James Harden, but you know, maybe in this postseason, his Achilles is feeling healthy. He's setting up guys, hitting his threes. Maybe that makes Philly a more convincing team to me. But, yeah, I'm I'm not learning a whole bunch from this series. But, you know, good for Joel Embiid. He's going to beat the shit out of this Nets team. Like you said, he didn't even really have, like, a crazy standout game. It was just how do you defend the Sixers when you're so worried about Embiid? They threw a double team at, Emb- at Embiid literally every time he touched the ball. But the ball kept moving. Harden's great at that. And it just led to open shots and they beat the shit out of the Nets. So,
1: Yeah, it's just not as competitive of a series. Um, But the Sixers are going to win dominantly. And that should give them a good morale boost going into round two. Uh, Moving on to the Sunday games. I want to talk about the Lakers-Grizzlies first. This was a 16-point win for LA. And in a lot of fourth quarter moments down the stretch, LeBron James was a floor spacer. And guys had to worry about do I like let off? Do I help and leave the goat wide open? Or do I go guard Austin Reeves? And Austin Reeves put up 12 <laughs> points in the fourth quarter and yeah. killed the Grizzlies in the mid range, killed him yeah. from three. Rui Hachimura probably had the best game of his entire career. No question. What a night from the Lakers to get such a good showing from your bench. You know, it's
0: interesting. There was this debate on Twitter whether the Lakers were actual title contenders or is this just media fluff, right? Is this just media pumping up the big market in a historic franchise? I've been saying it for a while. <laughs> like, this team's fucking scary. And yes, John Morant got hurt, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But if you just go through the Lakers lineup, right? At the beginning of the season, what did we say to each other, right? It was LeBron and AD and fucking nobody else, right? Right. Austin Reeves, great. D'Angelo Russell played well. Rui Hachimura shooting 11 to 14 from the floor and five of six from three was not on my bingo card. Like that <laughs> is, that is crazy. And you could never expect that type of performance from any of the Lakers' role guys before that trade was made. It allowed AD and LeBron to chill in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. Like you mentioned, they didn't have to be the ones carrying the offense they are in a super unique position right now where they were, this is a team that was crafted just a few months ago, but because the fit is so perfect around those two stars, I really do think they have a championship level ceiling or getting to the final ceiling. Um, AD, by the way, I struggle with defensive player of the year as an award because sometimes I feel like it just doesn't go to the best defender in the league. Um, And it feels like, There's so many, but Anthony Davis and Draymond, those two guys, every time they play, I'm like, how do these guys not get mentioned in these awards? I love Brooke Lopez, but he's fucking nothing compared to Draymond Green or Anthony Davis, or like even Jaron Jackson Jr. He played well. We saw him play well in this game, but Anthony Davis is fucking dominating on that end of the ball. He's just, I feel like he's underrated because of his injuries, which is so silly because he's like one of the most talented players to ever play. But because he's fragile, I think I think people just write him off like, no, he's fucking
1: incredible. It's so interesting to think historically about Anthony Davis, to think about like what he has been to this point in his career, because he's averaged 25 points a game over his entire career so far. Uh, 25 points and 10 boards with three assists and two blocks and a steal. Those are like all time great numbers. Yes. And it's hard to reconcile that with the fact that man just does not play. Um, and even in the for- first quarter, he had a weird shoulder thing, but he came back and he blocked seven shots this game. Um, yeah. And offensively he did his thing, but you're right. There were five Lakers who had 19 or more points. This was a routing man. You can't hope that leaving Rui Hachimura wide open for every shot that he takes is a winning strategy.
0: Right. the I think what's interesting was it kind of was a winning strategy in the regular season, right? Like people were okay with Ruby taking shots. In, moving forward, I don't know if you can be after this type of performance. No. Like, are you comfortable seeing him do this and then the next game going in with the same game plan? Absolutely not. No. Um, And so I just feel like this Lakers team, I have Lakers in six. I believe you did as well. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the Grizzlies side of things. What did you see from the Grizz that either encouraged you or discouraged you? What's going on with the Grizz?
1: If you're somebody who is not a fan of the Grizzlies, if you're a fan of a different team and you're thinking about how you rebuild and you think I should we should pay a guy like Dylan Brooks. That's Mm -hmm. a guy who will be a a game changer for our team. He will not be. It was a disaster class from Dylan Brooks, two of nine from three, Desmond Bain, three of 10 from three, three point consistency has been an issue for this team all year. Uh, I just do not love trying to win a game by letting Dylan Brooks take shots. I think it's almost impossible to win series, playoff series with that strategy. Jaron Jackson Jr. was incredible. John Morant wasn't, he got hurt and I hope he comes back because he is a difference maker. But today was not the job or yesterday was not the John Morant that we were expecting.
0: Yeah. Two assists to six turnovers, 18 points. You know, like you said, he did get hurt so he didn't get to finish the game, but even when he was playing, it kind of felt like he was making an impact for sure, but it wasn't the impact I expected coming into this series, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But you mentioned it, Dylan Brooks, man, five for 13 seems to be his most common shooting split. Um, he loves to take shots and he loves to miss shots. And you know, I've sp- I've spoken to you about this through text. I really respect him as a defender. Actually, like I I give him a lot of credit as a defender. But on offense, he just fucking kills you. He doesn't give you a shot when he when he's shooting like this. He kills your chances to win. And he's just a guy that you can't ration with. Being like, hey, take less shots. He he doesn't want to hear it um it's very similar to like early days Marcus Smart actually where like some games Marcus Smart if he was hitting he won you the game because he was giving you incredible defense and good offense but when he was taking too many shots it was just kind of tough to pull out wins I feel very similar to uh, Dylan Brooks I don't think Marcus Smart ever got to the point that Dylan Brooks is at where it's like every three games he's losing you a game um but Yeah, that's just going to be a weak point for the Grizzlies moving forward, especially with Ja hurt. It seems like his availability for game two isn't up in the air. Dylan Brooks is going to take that as a sign to take 24 shots. And that's just, it's going to lead to another Grizzlies out.
1: Yeah, I think the difference between Smart and Dylan Brooks is even in those games where Marcus Smart chucks too many shots, he also facilitates. He's always been at least a five assist a game kind of guy. Dylan Brooks sits at two and a half. Very true. He got two that game. His threes, his shots are momentum disruptors. There's 20 seconds on the shot clock and he's pulling a logo three. He's pulling a three from like two feet behind the line and bricking it. Um, It's just a waste of an offensive possession a lot of the times, but they need bailouts. If Desmond Bain's gonna shoot the way he does, somebody's gotta take shots. If John Morant's not on the floor, somebody has to shoot. Um, Not a great offensive showing from the Grizzlies. And if John Morant doesn't play, this is a quick series, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and I I think he's going to miss game two. I think he'll be back. It doesn't seem like it's a crazy, um, serious injury, but I this is going to lead me into a topic that I have talked to you over text. The charge should be eliminated from basketball. Um, that's how John Morant got hurt. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. Giannis got hurt as well. Both on charges. Um, this is not a basketball play it requires zero skill defenders who don't know how to defend can get value out of standing in one spot and just causing a human car crash it is bad for basketball and I've thought this for a while Boston fans love the charge because Marcus Smart made his career off of it but in general the charge is bad for basketball and I I'm kind of struggling to see especially right now the value of such an odd thing in basketball as a Cavs fan I had to watch Kevin Love literally not try all game long on defense, but get applauded four times a game because he took four charges. It's not defense. He's a fucking horrible defender. And now we're seeing it affect superstars and rob us of getting to watch them play. It's it's really dumb. It's unfortunate. Two huge injuries. What are your thoughts on just the charge in general? It's Just a quick thing here.
1: Um, I don't think there's a problem with the charge. I think if anything, the thing that needs to change is maybe give the offensive player an extra step. Um, If you, you know, there's a difference between a guy's careless and sprints into a guy and runs him over because he's not really paying attention to where the defenders are. And somebody in a split second, you know, taking a half step in front of you and stopping and you run him over. I think if, you give the offensive player an extra step because the rule is if the guy's in the air and you try to take a charge, it's a block. If you give that guy an extra step, defenders will be less likely to try to go for those dumb charges. I think there's a lot of times where charges make sense and they're the smart defensive play and they're the dumb offensive play. Um, But what happened to Jaw is certainly not that. And Giannis, and we'll talk about him in a second, but the
0: charge just wiped out two superstars in game one. And it's just like, it it happens all throughout the regular season too, right? A Guy goes up for a layup, someone's under him, he falls like crazy, you know, back contusion, knee contusion, rotated ankle, whatever the fuck. It keeps stars out from playing games. But moving back onto the game itself, defensive player of the year winner, most likely, Triple J, allowed the Lakers to shoot 53% from the floor, 43% from three, and 88% from the free throw line. Obviously not all the fouls are on him, but... The Lakers were fucking dominating on offense, and this is a team that I thought the Grizzlies had to worry about because they were a great defensive team. Like, I just think the Grizzlies are outmatched. I really just think the Lakers are a better team from top to bottom. LeBron and AD cancel out Jaw to me. They're better than everyone on the Grizzlies team. So, uh, yeah,
1: Lakers and six, man. It's a weird difference maker, but Steven Adams would make a difference in this series. Absolutely. Um, He had been played off the floor in earlier playoff series, but against two bigs, against a team that can dominate inside the way the Lakers can, having a big body like Steven Adams would have made a massive difference. And without that, it's hard to see them coming back without some sort of absolute showing from John Morant. And if he's going to be hurt, it's going to be tough to see that. Um, yeah, I think Lakers and six is pretty pretty easy to bet on. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. I want to hear your thoughts on the Clippers Suns. Um, first off, before I let you take the floor, I just want to say that this was kind of the least entertaining offense I've seen in the playoffs from the Clippers. Um, I don't know if it was all the Russell Westbrook misses or if it was the lack of creation of anybody on the floor besides Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi had one of the best games anyone's had in this playoff series so in this playoff so far, yeah. and. Willed the clippers to a win i want to hear your thoughts
0: why he's that guy man he is that guy the clippers you're right they didn't really do much that was creative or inventive russell westbrook we'll talk about him in terms of his box score was fucking atrocious right like three of 19 that is disgusting basketball um just gross shit like it was hard to watch really it really 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 was Um, uh, but Norm Powell was important. Eric Gordon was important. And this is the depth me and you have talked about at length this season, right? Is they, you know, they have guys that can pop up and make an impact, but Kawhi Leonard, every time he touches the floor. And I texted you this last night, and this could be Homerism. I don't care. It's hard to call anyone better than him. Anyone in the league. It's hard to say that guy is absolutely better than Kawhi Leonard. It's just hard for me to do. Um, 38 points on 13 to 24 from the four three of five from three nine to 10 from the free throw line to go along with five assists and five rebounds it's just hard when a guy at the five in the last five minutes can score like 10 points and lock down your best player he's not guarding Kevin Durant from minute one to minute you know 48 but in those last five minutes it's hard for me to choose anyone over Kawhi Leonard. And he proved it again last night. Like the Clippers should not have won this game. No. They should not have gone to Phoenix and stolen game one when they're down Paul George, who had a borderline all NBA season. Um, for It's just, it's hero shit. And I I jokingly said, if Kawhi wins this series, he's the best player in the league again. <laughs> it's going to be hard to argue because he, he should never win this series. To be clear, the Clippers will not win this series, but if they do, Kawhi undoubtedly is just, he needs that respect back because I do feel like he's been overlooked this season.
1: He definitely has been. It took him a while to get back into form, but then for, you know, the last 40 games or so, he was putting up 27 points on 50, 40, 90 Um, and playing great two-way defense, putting up six assists, five boards. He was just all over the place Um, and he is, you know, when we get into the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard has the chance to be the best player in any series he's in. It doesn't matter who he plays against. Yep. Um, and Russell Westbrook, I don't know if I can really say he was terrible. The box score tells you he missed every shot he took. Yep. Um, the layups, the, the shot attempts around the paint were pathetic. He was missing the entire hoop from six feet and they were looking like passes to Mason Plumley. Um, But then you go and look at the five offensive rebounds, the uh, eight assists, the block on Devin Booker in crunch time, the free throws that he got on Devin Booker, and the clutch free throws that he made. Russell Westbrook is an enigma, and I don't know how we describe his game when we talk about him in the future, but this was a winning impact from Russell Westbrook, despite what that three of 19 shows you. And I agree, and people who have listened to this podcast know I'm his biggest hater, but
0: Honestly, dude, without him, they probably lose. Which is crazy to say when you see a three and nineteen stat line. Mm-hmm. That final minute was insane. Russ hits two clutch free throws. He's a sixty-six percent free throw shooter. He's not supposed to hit both. He does. The crowd's roaring. He goes back on the other end, locks up Devin Booker, locks his shot to prevent like a game. To prevent Booker from making the game closer and then throws it off Booker's legs as he's falling out of bounds to give the Clippers the ball to ice the game. It's just crazy shit. It was a winning play. He he did a funny celebration after the game ended. He ripped his jersey to the side and pointed at his heart. It was, it was all heart. Like that's that's it's corny, but it's true. It was just he wanted it more. And, you know, I'm not even going to bang on him for the three of 19. I'm going to let it go because he helped win this game. His offensive rebounding has been outstanding for this Clippers team. And it's funny to see how differently they've used him compared to what the Lakers have used him. Completely different personnel. It makes sense why he didn't work with the Lakers and he's kind of working with the Clippers. But, yeah, I, I was impressed by Russ and Kawhi is obviously that guy but yeah this this result actually shocked me I I know it did for you as well I did not expect the Clippers to win this game whatsoever and they they pulled it out
1: I was watching the entire time feeling like I never want to watch a Clippers game again like until we got into the fourth quarter and Kawhi was doing incredible shit it was just horrendous offense um, for most of the game and somehow you pull out a win in the end of it unbelievable Um, We've harped on this before, but I think it is hilarious that Russell Westbrook is in the same exact city playing in the same stadium that he's been in the entire year. But the mindset from Lakers fans to Clippers fans, absolutely night and day. Clippers fans love him and he loves playing for this team and just the impact plays that he makes outside of scoring the basketball if you were able to slot Paul George back into this lineup and you could take shots away from Russ, maybe this is something.
0: Yeah. And you know, you mentioned the fans loving Russ and Russ loving the Clippers. The fucking media loves him too. the Clippers media. It's hilarious. If you look at the post game press conferences from him as a Laker compared to him as a Clipper, the questions he's getting are like very positive, happy, like, you know, you did a great job tonight, Russ. Like, what did you think about your performance compared to Russ? You're 0 of 6 of 3 tonight with 10 turnovers. Like, what? It's so funny how the vibe has changed. And honestly, I think it's affected his play positively. I think when you're showing up to work every day and you know you're going to get some praise if you do something well, I think it probably motivates him to do shit well.
1: Um it's, and I think in the opposite end, if you show up to work every day and you get death that, threats on Twitter because right. you turn the ball over a couple too many times, you're yeah. going to not want to play basketball anymore.
0: For sure. <laughs> for sure. And just to move to the other side of the things, because we've done a lot of Clippers talk, like Kevin Durant was fucking incredible. Um, he started the game 0 for 5. You know, it it looks like he was a little rusty. Finishes 7 to fifteen, nine rebounds, 11 assists, 2 blocks. Like, that's a prime KD performance. Can't get much better than that. We will see better, but that's a very good performance. Booker might have had one of the most complete games of his entire career. What he was doing on defense shocked me. Three blocks, four steals from Devin Booker. Like, we know he's grown on defense, but what he was doing last night... I never thought he would be able to hit that level as a two-way player. And, you know, he is probably the best shooting guard in the league. It's between him, Jalen Brown, and Donovan Mitchell. I can never tell who it is, but those are the three guys. Um, Horry Craig had the game of his life, 9 of 12. DeAndre Ayton, we spoke about this. Every fucking time we watch him play, it's always, he could have done a little bit more. And I felt that again tonight or last night, just... Hey man, keep making shots. You know you're you're doing pretty well here. Eight to sixteen. He only had eight rebounds. Ibikazubach beat him on the boards. DeAndre Eaton is a massive human being. People like he should be fucking dominating the boards every single game, and he just doesn't. Um, but the, so something I really want to talk about with the Suns is their lack of depth. I t- I spoke to you a little bit about this last night while through text. It's the Suns starting five and nobody else. Like, I can promise listeners, Torrey Craig is not going to go 9 for 12 from the floor again. Promise you. Landry Shamit, Buns. Jock Lawndale, should he really be getting playoff minutes? No. Ish Wainwright, bad. Bismack Biombo, fucking horrible. And the Clippers keyed in on him really quickly. Hey, if this guy gets anywhere near the rim, just foul his ass because he's horrible at free throw shooting. And it they <laughs> he played four minutes, and then the Suns were like, all right, you're not seeing the court anymore. Um So it's really Kevin Durant, Booker, Aiton, Paul, and nobody else. And the Clippers are the exact opposite, right? They're missing Paul George, but they have guys down the roster that can contribute. So this is actually a pretty interesting series to watch moving forward.
1: I think it fits that this is a 4-5 or matchup because these teams both have big flaws that are exploitable. The reason Devin Booker looked so incredible defensively is because when Kawhi Leonard doesn't have the ball in his hands, it's cookie's. There's not a lot of people on this team that can create shots that can get around people that are that comfortable handling the ball. Bones Highland is going to chuck up threes, but if you're hoping for someone who can comfortably set up the team, Russell Westbrook does his best, but Devin Booker is going to lock up, you know, a Terrence Mann or a Nicholas Batum attempt on offense. And then you go to the Phoenix Sun side, and can you trust 40 minutes a game from Chris Paul? Are we worried at all that Kevin Durant's playing 44 and a half minutes? Are we worried about what that looks like on his body if this is a long series? Devin Booker at 43 minutes, I'm fine. He's young. He's got legs. That's fine. But Kevin Durant and Chris Paul, if they're playing 40 plus minutes a game and the bench production is as non-existent as it is, I still think they win this series. But going forward, man, no way is this a team that makes it all the way.
0: I agree. I think the mileage is going to be an issue. I think KD led the league in minutes before he got hurt, right? So he's shown the ability to have, you know, long stretches of a lot of minutes, right? So he's proven that to us. What I can't put my money on is Chris Paul. Yeah. Uh, Chris Paul throughout the season has looked old, right? And he had a few really nice showings when KD first got there. But then, you know, it doesn't cancel out the first 50 games of the season where he looked kind of washed. Um, He didn't look washed in this game. He had a good impact. But as a scorer, I think that's something we need to look at is can Chris Paul play 38 minutes game one and then come back game two and give you 20 points? I don't think like I really don't think so. Is he going to be putting up 20 and 10s? No,
1: no. That was the conversation that we had when Kevin Durant joined this team as we were talking about, is this really, do we have the best mid-range point guard in the game right now? Like Chris Paul used to be that, but his offense is gone. Um, He used to be a guy that could comfortably get himself to 20, 22 points a game. And seven from him is kind of what I'm expecting going forward. Maybe he puts up 12 in the next game. Like he's not out there to score the ball. The 10 assists a game, he's always an excellent table setter. He yeah. will be that forever. Um, he could be 43 and he could still be an effective table setter. But creating his own shots in the mid range, it's just not something that I see being there for him anymore. I tend
0: to agree with you. It feels like a little bit like he was never a crazy good athlete, but it does feel like some of his his just like natural athleticism is gone and just yeah. everything moves a little bit slower. And when you're trying to get to your like spot at the mid-range, if the guy like snaking the pick and roll is catching up to you from behind, it's just not going to be as good as a look. Um, so it matters in the long run here. It definitely does.
1: What this series is showing me is that the Suns are not as dangerous as I thought they were. Um, when it comes down to the second round, I thought Nuggets versus Suns, I don't know what the Nuggets could possibly do to slow down that offense. And even if I still feel that way, like, The Nuggets offense is also going to be a hard force for Phoenix to stop. Um, I'm even more excited for that second round if that's what it comes down to. But to think the Clippers have a legit shot at taking this series, what a shock. What a surprise. I'm very, very surprised. And, you know, even as the
0: biggest Kawhi Leonard fan, I thought that he was just overmatched by the Suns' top-end talent because they were missing Paul George. It looks like this might be closer than we initially thought because it's pl- it's plausible to think Russell Westbrook doesn't go three for 19 every single game right mm-hmm. like you know <laughs> you know it's you know we might be expecting some poor efficiency but three and 19 hard to do right um,
1: but right. to just- think about it 27 points for Durant 26 for Booker those are their averages so right. there is a ceiling there that's higher than what those guys were doing last night offensively
0: yep for sure. And just quickly on Chris Paul, before we wrap up on this series or this game, looking back, uh, what he did in that 2021 playoff run compared to what we think of him now is pretty funny. In Denver, when they swept Denver, 26 and 10 were his averages. The next series against the Clippers, 24 and 9 were his averages. And then in the finals against Milwaukee, 22 and 8. And all of this is on incredible efficiency, mind you. That is not, it's not the same guy anymore. That Chris Paul is gone. Um, It's going to be on Devin Booker and KD to win this series. Um, So it'll, it'll be a good one. I think, I think I had Suns in six. I'm going to stick with that prediction, but I definitely don't feel as good about that prediction as I did before game one.
1: I think I'm going to go Suns in seven. I honestly, like, I don't know. The Clippers played an excellent game. And I don't know how much better they can get minus Russell Westbrook shooting a little higher from the field. But their role players did exactly what you expected them to do. Um, Those guys are out there to catch and shoot. Those guys are out there to play good team defense. Um, Kawhi and Russell Westbrook are going to be the guys that win this series for the Clippers if they can manage it, which would just be unbelievable. Um, Moving on to the next series, let's talk about Miami-Milwaukee. Yeah. What a surprise win this was. Losing Giannis with a back in- injury 11 minutes in, that sucks. Um, it still feels like this Bucks team should have been able to comfortably beat the Heat, even without Giannis. I'm not a huge believer in the Heat. Max Struess, oh no, that was the other game. That was the play-in where Max Struess had a heater. This was Jimmy Butler, 35-11, and 11, scoring yeah. at will in the paint. Without Giannis, that's what's going to happen. Brook Lopez can't stop Jimmy on, on his own.
0: Um, if any game proved that brooke lopez should not be the defensive player of the year it's this one right here i mean as much as we want to say brooke is important to the it's fucking Giannis. Giannis is the guy on that team defensively he is the mistake eraser he is the guy that makes the whole system click um the heat put up 130 after not being able to score 90 on the fucking hawks like it's it's just one the heat fixed up some things and two the bucks without Giannis are not this elite defensive team with Giannis. They're unstoppable without they're vulnerable. Um, But we can talk about like a guy I actually want to talk about is Kevin Love after shitting on him just there for a second on the Cavs and the charge rule and stuff. He played really fucking well. And this is not expected because he was a buyout guy. He was washed. He literally played himself out of the Cavs rotation. JB Bickerstaff couldn't put him on the court anymore and he comes out in the playoffs and scores 18 points on four or seven from three and gets four three throws to go along with it. Um, that was not expected from me at all.
1: I don't see the Heat winning another game. Um, I think this was an incredibly surprising win. Jimmy Butler had an excellent game. Bam had an excellent game, um, but this this shouldn't be an even matchup, man. Drew Holiday, it's time to show up in the postseason. It is kid. time to shoot better from the field in the postseason. You put up 50 in the regular season. You are going to make an all-NBA team. There's a chance. Um, you gotta show up. You can't be six of eighteen when Giannis goes out. I don't know what it is that makes him shrink every time the playoffs start, but man, is it frustrating? And the Bucs are never gonna be the team that takes down the Celtics if Drew Holiday can't be efficient.
0: Yeah, he had the worst plus minus on the entire team. Um and you know, he his boc- his like raw stats look okay, sixteen, seven and sixteen, sixteen assists to one turnover. That's a very impressive playmaking game. But yes, they fucking need you to score, bro. Like Giannis just got hurt. Take over like you did in the in the regular season. I will say though, looking forward and and just finding things to be encouraged about, Chris Middleton was fucking awesome. Right. Correct. And We've been talking about this all year long because we know the Eastern Conference Finals is headed for Boston-Milwaukee. Milwaukee Milwaukee didn't have Chris Middleton last year. This is the guy that they've been waiting for, right? Chris Middleton to show up 33 points on 12 of 20 shooting. That's exactly who they're waiting for. Really efficient shooting that you can put next to Giannis. Self-creation. He can run, pick, and roll. This is who they've been waiting for. And it seems like he's finally back to form or getting there. Um, It's the other guys that need to step up, right? Brooke Lopez didn't hit a three, 10 points. What the fuck? He was averaging 20 points per game the last 20 games of the season. This is a disappearing act from him on the defensive end and on offense. Drew Holiday, we just spoke about it. And then it's, you know, Bobby Portis really stepped up. He scores 21 points, but you just need more from other guys when Giannis gets hurt and they weren't able to do it. And I think, you know, hopefully Giannis comes back for game one, a back contusion. I've never heard that. I don't know what the timetable for that injury is. I have no idea. Contusions just a bruise. Right. But like on his back, is that going to,
1: it all depends on his pain tolerance and when he can muscle it out. Um, But I hope he's back soon. And even if he's not, I think the Bucks should be able to win this series without Giannis. (laughs) Not, maybe Giannis will be back for two games, but I think if Giannis misses the next game, the Bucs should still be able to win. This was a comfortable win for the Heat. They took the lead in the first quarter and they never lost it. Um, I don't, I I couldn't have expected that going into this series. Truly, I thought the 1-8 matchup and the 2-7 matchup are going to be four game sweeps. And the fact that the Heat put up this sort of game, Jimmy Butler's not a guy you can count out. 100%
0: right. Jimmy Butler was fucking crazy in this game. Um, Something we do need to talk about is Tyler Hero breaking his hand after diving for a loose ball. Um, He is majorly important to the Heat, like incredibly important because he is basically the only level of shot creation and three-point shooting that they have. Uh, Jimmy Butler obviously creates his own shot, but the three-point shooting, Max Struess is... He's not going to do what he did in the play in every single fucking game. Right. That is a once in a lifetime performance from Struess. Tyler heroes, the guy who's consistently hitting step back threes, self-created threes. They lose that. This team's a lot different. Um, So I think, you know, the heat are going to struggle moving forward unless Jimmy Butler and Bam do what they did in this game. Bam was incredible. 22 points, nine rebounds, seven assists. That's what we're kind of more used to seeing. He was horrible in both play-in games. Bam, absolutely horrible. This is kind of more of what we expect from him. So this series is weird because it's dealing with injury, and we don't know how, I mean, Tyler here is out for the season, but does Giannis come back in game two? Does he come back in game three? It'll kind of just be a guessing game of health rather than teams facing each other.
1: You think Jimmy Butler and Bam are enough to beat? the Bucks without Giannis. Do you think if Giannis like misses four games, three or four games the heat in this?
0: Yes, because Drew Holiday's gone ghost. If Drew Holiday was the guy he was in the regular season, I'd have no fucking problem with it. But if Brooke Lopez is going to put up 10 points and Drew Holiday is going to go six of 18, yeah, I don't trust that. I, like they need, and that was with a Bobby Portis performance where he scored 21 points in 26 minutes. Like, does that get much better from the bench? Not really. Yeah. So- I just, you know, the heat the heat are super inconsistent offensively, right? Super. And maybe because Hero's out the Bucks could still take it, but if Hero was healthy and Giannis was out like I don't know, I don't really trust the rest of the Bucks guys because Giannis is so important to what they do on both ends of the ball.
1: What I'll say to that is something that I've kind of tried to reiterate over and over again, the Celtics are going to the finals. Um if this is what we're seeing from the Bucks like they're the only team that stands in the Celtics way. Yeah. Um, and if the rest of the team can't perform and Boston does what Boston did to open this playoffs the first half, if they play that smoothly, like how do the Bucs come back? How do the Bucks take that? I
0: uh, this I this has actually encouraged my Bucks pick for me this game because really? Chris, yeah, Chris Middleton looks great. Um, you know, he was shaky throughout the regular season, but he's kind of looking like he's that guy again. It's just can Drew Holiday be a fucking normal player. That's it. That's literally it for me because we know what Giannis is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think Buck, th- those two teams we've known all fucking season. We knew from last year that those were the two teams that we would be seeing in this year's Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I don't think Giannis getting hurt 10 minutes in should inform you on anything with how the Bucks Celtics series should go. Um, Because I think this game is Milwaukee's by a landslide if Giannis plays.
1: I mean, I think it should have been Milwaukee's with Giannis out. Um, Not by a landslide, but I think the Heat are are not that good, man.
0: But the best player in the league.
1: Against the team that couldn't put up 90 points against the Hawks, the 22nd ranked defense in basketball. That team should lose to the best team in basketball without Giannis. But, I mean,
0: I know how much respect you have for Jimmy Butler. He had an incredible game. He put up
1: 35 points and 11 assists. Like, that's an that's an all-timer performance. Haven't we watched the Bucs for years still be a competent basketball team without Giannis? Haven't we watched them still be able to put up good offensive and defensive numbers and win games without Giannis? All regular season for years we've seen that. Um, yeah.
0: I... I mean, I trust
1: I trust the surrounding core of the Bucks more than what I saw from them in game one.
0: Okay, and what I will also say is, like, get ready for the variance from the heat side of things. Like, is Gabe Vincent going to hit four or five threes? Right. Like, is Cody Martin going to give you 15 points? Is Kevin Love going to have another 18 point outing? There's no fucking chance any of that shit happens ever again. And Giannis will be playing a full game. Um, So, yeah, this series is over in five. Um, I do think it's a gentleman's sweep. Milwaukee is the better team. It's just their guy got taken out. You know, if Drew Holiday has a 6 of 18 game, but Giannis is next to him, they win this game. It doesn't matter that he has the 6 of 18 because yeah. man, he's going off and Giannis is there. So this is just a weird, weird game one because I think it's outliers on both sides, right? Like the Heat putting up 130 points makes no sense, but Giannis got hurt. So yeah, weird, weird series, but I, I still have the Bucks like the Bucs are going to win at five. I, I'm not really worried about it.
1: As soon as Giannis comes back, this is going to be a routing, but even if Giannis misses games, I think the Bucs should be able to win. Um, not the whole series, but some individual games without Giannis. Uh, moving on to the last series, Minnesota versus Denver. Yeah. In 2023, we watched a playoff team put up 80 points. Yeah. That is miserable against yeah. a team with a non-respectable defense Nikola Jokic fouling out in 28 minutes this was a routing this was never close um I was really surprised by the lack of offense that Minnesota showed
0: (laughs) I almost texted you last (laughs) night I had a text written does watching Jokic play defense not make you physically ill (laughs) and I was like no I'm gonna take it back you are a massive Jokic fan and you know They fucking dominated the game. And when Jokic played, he played really well. Like he was setting up his guys. He had a cool couple cool highlights. Like he he did okay. I mean, he, he was fucking horrible defensively. There's no question. Um, But like they fucking dominated this game. And I don't think it has anything to do with them. I think it has to do with how bad the fucking Timberwolves were. Not how good the Nuggets were. How bad the Timberwolves were. Carl Anthony Towns, yet again, proving he's one of the worst playoff players in the league. It's just what it is, right? Like, he has no ability to make an impact on games uh, when they matter. And it's disgusting. He thought he was Jokic out there. If you watched this game, it was hilarious. He was trying to make behind-the-head passes every other possession down the floor. Why he thinks that's a smart strategy to do, I'm not sure. And he was feeding Rudy Gobert over and over and over again. What are you doing Rudy Gobert is one of the worst offensive players in the entire league. Super confusing. Ant was okay. The efficiency's bad, but at least he was charging into the paint over and over again. Like I he settled a little too much for long twos, but you know, we'll see. I, I liked him when he was getting to the rim. Everything else on this team was fucking horrible. He
1: put up 80 points, man. Holy yeah. shit, that's terrible. They're fucking um, horrible. Really, <clears throat> really, really bad. Carl anthony Towns, not a playoff performer. Anthony Edwards, if we're going to say that the Nuggets are a team you can abuse in the paint and all you have to do is drive hard and jump, and Anthony Edwards should be able to score over everybody, 18 points is not going to cut it. Rudy Gobert stinks. Um, yes. This team... <laughs> This is a team that I remember me and you having the conversation about how how high is this team's ceiling? Yeah. Um four game sweep that is this team's ceiling.
0: Honestly, I fucking agree. Um that I think it's in 3 even, man. It's in 3. <laughs> um I actually I'm going to take that back. I think the Wolves take one game because I think, you know, from what we saw, there's a clear weakness here. Like, let's not pretend we didn't see what Jokic did last night on defense. Can we can we address that at least? Like, yes, the Nuggets beat the dog shit out of the Timberwolves, but, like, that was one of the most disgusting defensive performances I've seen in a really long time. I'd like you to – because you have been – like, you think Jokic is the best player in the league and you are a massive Jokic fan. Does that concern you, what we saw last night, or does it not matter because when he was out there, it was just – him setting up guys for open looks all night long.
1: Fouling out in 28 minutes of play is unacceptable. Disgusting. Um, That's unacceptable. I need to see the Nuggets play a real basketball team, I think. Uh, Whatever this Timberwolves roster is, if you're thinking, like we had high hopes for Minnesota, but they put up 80 points. Yeah. If they're putting up 80 points in a playoff game against the Nuggets, at a certain level, we got to wait until it matters right? At the moment, it doesn't matter. Eventually it will matter, but fouling out in 28 minutes isn't acceptable. And this was not a great game from Jokic.
0: I would take the exact opposite stance Um, for a team that is as dog shit as the Timberwolves to see what I saw makes it even more alarming. That's, that's the stance I would take because the only way the Timberwolves could score was getting to the paint when Jokic was there. That was literally the only way they could score. Um, it was fucking crazy to watch. I, it's, it's, it's a red flag. And you know, it's not even the fouling. That was really my biggest issue with it. It was just his contests watching him do that fake sloppy half steal thing. Just, it was just, it's a, it's a decoy. He's not actually trying to steal the ball from you. He just pounds his foot forward, throws his body, like just chucks his arm out there. It's not a real contest. Kyle Anderson and Anthony Edwards were just doing floaters over him the entire, and it's like, How they scored 80 points is a fucking mystery to me because it was just disgusting to watch. But, you know, let's talk positively about the Nuggets because they beat the dog shit out of the Timberwolves. It wasn't just the Wolves sucking. Jamal Murray played okay. He started the game really shaky. Um, I think he started 0 for 7, and then he cleaned it up and went 9 for 22 by the end of the night. Still not awesome efficiency, but 24, 8 and 8, that'll do. Like, that's a very good performance. Michael Porter Jr., as always, 4-9 from 3. He's going to give you that every fucking night. Um, What did you see from the Nuggets that you liked?
1: I honestly, I mean, just a quick and easy get everybody involved, beat the piss out of a better team um, is what I expected to see. I never could have expected the Nuggets to hold a team to 80 points. Um, I expected more like 129 to 100, um, but – to see the fact that the offense could grow from here, like this is not the peak of what Denver Nuggets offense looks like. Jamal Murray, very slow start. Michael Porter Jr. always does his thing. Nicole Jokic didn't have an excellent game. Um, to I I just don't know what to take away from this. The Timberwolves are maybe, I, I guess the Timberwolves are just as bad as we thought. What I had been saying is that the second you slot Carl Anthony Towns back into this lineup, they get worse because you can't play two centers on the floor at the same time. Um, I we're seeing that we're seeing that this is not a winning strategy for basketball, and I don't even know what I can take away from the Denver side because this is just a great team playing against a team that really you know scraw- clawed and scratched its way to the eight seed.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, I don't know when I'm looking at what I'm learning from this series, it almost I'm learning that Nikhil Alexander Walker is an NBA player, that's what I'm learning. I actually really respect him as a defensive guard. He tries his fucking ass off, and I love watching him play defense. Um, but in terms of, like, how the Wolves are playing, Anthony Edwards really disappointed me with his long twos. Um, that was frustrating because when he got to the rim, it was easy easy pickings, um, and he just elected to go for long twos. And, you know, if you're Anthony Edwards facing a team that has horrible rim protection, you should probably get to the free throw line a little bit more too. six free throw attempts is fine. But, you know, if you're like one of the most physically dominating players in the entire league going against a team that has no idea how to stop people at the rim, just fucking abuse their weakness, man. Don't, don't be taking the fancy jumpers contested long twos. It's, it's not the smart thing to do. Um, and Carl Anthony Towns like what's funny is i actually think he probably has the best body type to defend Nikola Jokic like in terms of just he's stocky and has like feet that can kind of keep up with Jokic it's just his basketball iq and footwork is fucking disgusting um so you know Jokic had a few moves that made Carl Anthony Towns look like an idiot out there um but like in terms of body type, it should be okay. But because of how bad his IQ is, it's going to be really hard to watch and offensively too. Like, why did he struggle the way he did? Like you'd think Carl Anthony towns would have a fucking awesome series against a team that lacks protecting the rim and Aaron Gordon's three inches shorter than you. You should be able to bomb threes away at the perimeter with limited contests. I'm pretty confused. I'm just puzzled. I'm not sure what I'm learning from this. Honestly.
1: There is legitimate talent when it comes to point of attack defense on the Nuggets. KCP, Aaron Gordon, Bruce yep. Brown are three guys that do as good a job as you possibly can keeping guys away from Jokic. And that is the defensive strategy. Uh, we They know Jokic can't protect the paint. So it's got to be big bodies that keep guys it, taking deep tubes, um, which, you know, for Anthony Edwards, it worked. Uh, anthony edwards was settling for those deep twos settling for those jumpers and they weren't falling um, that's been the denver Nuggets strategy and it'll just be interesting to see what it looks like with offensive weapons that really are dangerous anthony edwards is not there yet he will be he will be the best shooting guard in basketball one day but consistency wise he's not there yet carl anthony towns I've said enough bad things about him. He just didn't show up. He may not show up this series. Um I want to see what this defense looks like in the playoffs against an offensive weapon that actually means something.
0: I do too. Um I feel like it's just hard to learn something from this series. Like yes. we we saw a team that couldn't take advantage of the defensive weakness of the Denver Nuggets. We they just couldn't do it. Um you know, maybe that changes moving forward in the series. I kind of doubt it. Uh, you know what? I expect better things from Anthony Edwards. Uh, hopefully he's not just chucking long to his all series long, right? Like we've spoken about this off air. If he was at the rim and at the three point line, he'd be an all NBA player. Yeah. Um, but he likes that, that tough J from the mid range. He just falls in love with it sometimes. And it's, it never goes in literally never. Um, So yeah, this is a weird ass series. I don't really know what to think of it. I do, I texted you about this. This is a worry I have for the Nuggets moving forward. Michael Malone, what the fuck is he doing out there? Um, He and Doc Rivers are the only guys left in the NBA that do hockey lineups where you take your whole starting five out and you just put a whole bunch of bums in for a few minutes. I fucking hate it. And if it's not a whole bunch of bums, he'll keep like Jamal Murray in and then just have a whole bunch of ass dudes around him. Um, when you're facing the Phoenix Suns, if you're facing the Clippers, if you're facing the Lakers, that is not gonna fly. It's just not gonna work. Um they have better bench units than you. And if you have one guy who's a threat offensively out there, the Lakers are gonna throw Jared Vanderbilt on you, or the Warriors are gonna throw Gary Payton the second on you and just force the other guys to do something. I really worry moving forward about that strategy as a coach and just, you know, the bench of the Nuggets in general too. Because if you look at this box score, Bruce Brown was great, but then everyone else did nothing.
1: Yeah. I mean, thinking about it, the thing that I have been saying forever, if the Denver Nuggets had a legit backup center, if they had a guy who could comfortably lead and help the team win minutes with Jokic sitting, would Jokic's (laughs) terrible defense really matter that much? Because they beat the brakes off of teams offensively. All of those minutes where Jokic sits, the other team just eats away at that lead, and then you bring Jokic back in for crunch time, and the paint's an easy target. But if you had a backup center, that shit would never happen. Um, Having a a lineup that's Jamal Murray, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, and Bruce Brown, um, that's not a team that can win you playoff minutes. I hope at least as we get into the second round, Michael Malone gets his shit together in terms of our starters got to play 36 minutes a game.
0: Yeah, and I mean, maybe the lopsidedness of this game kind of let his guys rest and Jokic fouling out, right? Like, that had something to do with it. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And you're you're dead on. Like, both of us at the trade deadline were like, the Nuggets need to do something at the backup center. I wanted them to trade a first-round pick for Pirtle. Um, they elected not to do that. I think that would be a perfect addition for them. Absolutely. Um, They opted for Thomas Bryant, who is now getting – overplayed by deandre jordan that's how bad he's been so they tried to address it they swung and miss um it's gonna be a weakness moving forward but you're right like they dominate the Jokic minutes they do we've known that all regular season long even with his shitty defense they fucking dominate yes it's it's just hey bench guys can you at least keep us afloat or just don't let them cut into our lead too much yeah That's the issue. So, you know, as we go further in the playoffs, that'll be something that we're going to have to monitor.
1: I think that's the reason I've always been a little bit quieter on Jokic's terrible defense is because when you look at it game to game, it's not what loses them basketball games. Um, His offense, while he's on the floor, overpowers his defense, in my opinion, in a big way. Um, If they just had a competent backup center, shit would be very different. If they made that trade for Pirtle, this would be a team without a weakness in my eyes.
0: I agree. I think it's funny that a single bench piece could change your opinion about a team so much, but it's true. Like if they have Pirtle on the bench and they have Bruce Brown, that's a, that's a solid seven guys they can play. And then, you know, when Jokic comes out of the game, you have a defensive stalwart waiting in the paint to protect leads. Like that's exactly what they need. Um, but I, like you said, right. Like, I want to see this team against another team that actually has respectable offensive talent, or is it just a respectable team in general, right? Like is LeBron James going to keep settling for fadeaway twos against Jokic? No. Um, And, you know, if Kevin Durant is playing him, he will settle for those, but that's the most efficient shot in basketball. So it's going to be a very interesting chess match when it comes to the Nuggets. Me and you have project like projected this out, forever ago, right? We've been wanting to see how Jokic holds up against the elite of the elite. um, And it doesn't feel like we get to see that right now because the Minnesota Timberwolves are so bad.
1: Yeah, they are not. The Timberwolves are not elite of the elite. Um, They are figuring it out still. Um, Moving forward for the Timberwolves, I don't know what's realistic in terms of their strategy moving forward, but I do expect the team to try to improve. I don't expect them to just run it back. Um, First and foremost... If you could dump Rudy Gobert, that might be a move you have to make. This trade for Rudy Gobert might be the worst trade in the history of basketball. It is. It is. it, It is absolutely up there. You can go back and look at like there's some rules that exist because guys back in the 80s were dipshits when it comes to trading picks and players. Um, But in the modern era, I can't think of a worse trade. So you got to dump Rudy Gobert and maybe even Cat. And Anthony Edwards just has to be the guy you build around. I have no idea what the offseason looks like for Minnesota. The
0: interesting thing for them is they have Edwards under contract for a long time. They have Towns under contract for a long time. Gobert's there for at least three years. They can re-sign Conley for relatively cheap, who's been pretty good for them. He didn't do anything last night, but he's been pretty good. Kyle Anderson's a really good free agent signing for them. Like he's just a good player, but it, he doesn't want to be there. <clears throat> I don't know if that's true. I don't know after if that's that.
1: True. I don't know after that shit I heard with Rudy Gobert after the shit he got caught on a hot mic being like, "You guys better mf and pay me." Like you give Rudy Gobert too much respect. You better mf and pay me. Yeah, seems I mean, like it, the vibes are awful. It, I don't know. I guess we'll see. But they
0: they have guys that I really like, like Nas Reed. He's a free agent this summer, but like. I believe they'll pay him. Jada McDaniel's; they have him under contract for a while. Yeah. I, to be honest, I said it before the you know the series started. If they had those two guys, I view the series completely differently. Like good luck Jamal Murray scoring twenty four points if Jada McDaniel's is on you all night, and like Nas Reed coming off the bench destroying the non Jokic minutes would have been hilarious to watch. Um, th- this is a completely different matchup if, if those two guys are healthy, in my opinion. So you know is this an overreaction you know cuz they they have two of their top six guys not playing basketball and i don't know it, to me to me i'm running it back or close to running it back i think they can obviously improve around the edges with some extra cap space that they probably have um but Yeah, I'm not too worried about it for next year. I think they stand no fucking chance right now. But for next year, you know, if Cat doesn't miss 54 games during the regular season, maybe they're a higher seed than the eighth seed. I don't know.
1: I was always of the opinion that if Cat was missing less games, the team would be worse because this team just doesn't work together. Um, But you got to see what a full season probably looks like with them. Yeah, that's it. Those are all the series.
0: Yeah, that's it. Uh, We had a lot of great, excuse me, game ones. Uh, We have another round of games coming up this week. Um, Monday, today, we have the Nets, Sixers, Warriors, Kings. And then tomorrow we have Hawks, Celtics, Knicks, Cavs, Clippers, Suns. So, you know, we're going to see how these play uh, series play out. Obviously, playoff basketball is the best time of year. Nothing is better than playoff basketball.
1: Before we go, I want you to pick we'll pick our top two favorite series so far. Uh, Number one for me has got to be Warriors, Kings. What an offensive showing. This is just going to be a master class of a series, game in and game out. Number two, I think is a tough one. I don't know who to pick. I think I'm going to go Lakers-Grizzlies because, man, that was fun to watch.
0: I think we have the same two, but to be different, I'll say Clippers-Suns. Um, I I said this before the series. like We're getting to watch the two greatest forwards, not named LeBron, over the last two to three decades. Like that is crazy shit. And we're getting to watch it in the first round, not in the Western Conference finals, not in the finals, the first round. So I think that's going to be great basketball all the way
1: through. I agree. Um, I think that's going to do it for us. JP, you got anything else? I got nothing. All right. Thanks everybody for listening in. We'll catch you later. Peace. Peace.